This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We have a lot to get into here on our latest episode. And uh, going to have Tyler Calvaruso on with us to break down the latest on recruiting and transfer portal news. And there's a lot to get to. There's a couple new additions in this 2023 Nittany Lions recruiting class since we last recorded uh, just in the past 24 hours or so, both on the defensive line. We'll break down both of those. Mason Robinson, uh, thank you very much for announcing when you did. We were just about to sit down and record when he put his announcement out shortly after noon here on Tuesday that he was committing to Penn State uh, following a run in the Northwestern Wildcats recruiting class, uh, coming off a visit to Penn State, coming off an in-house visit with Penn State staff members, making that public. And we appreciate that, Tyler Calvaruzzo, because that means we get to break down a couple of commitments and uh, we don't have to talk around anything here because things seem to be trending in this direction for Mason Robinson heading into last weekend. We discussed that last Thursday. Uh, he publicly backed off his Northwestern commitment, which he had uh, been committed to them since May. That happened on Monday and then Tuesday at lunchtime joins the Nittany Lions class. We'll talk about the addition that happened on Monday, but now stands at 21 members of a quickly building 2023 Nittany Lions recruiting class. Yeah, and we knew Robinson was coming pretty much coming out of his official visit. You know, Penn State had a lot of positive buzz prior to that visit. It looked like they were going to be in the possessed position to get him off that Northwestern commitment, and that obviously came to fruition. Now, I will say, when Robinson got that offer from Notre Dame, I think it was it was pretty interesting period because, you know, you wanted to see if he was going to make that visit. And given the fact that he was committed to Northwestern, you know, it's such a high academic school, and Notre Dame having similar priorities, you know, being in the Midwest like that, I'm sure there was some appeal, but he decided not to visit, decided that Penn State was the place for him coming out of the official and, you know, you got to give the staff a lot of credit here, I feel. you know, When they lost T.J. Parker, when Parker decided to go elsewhere, they were left with just a pair of defensive linemen in this class, and they've rebounded really nicely to Flip Robinson and to land Joseph Mpoya, who like we will get to soon. But Robinson, you got to love this addition, I feel. A lot to like with him coming off the edge. He got a lot better as his senior year went on. He was a good, he's always been a good prospect. As a junior, he was a really good player. But I think as a senior, he really kind of separated himself as one of the better defensive linemen in the DMV. So Penn State's got to be happy with what they just added to its class. Yeah, you broke down Robinson with some analysis over at 24-7 Sports. And Brian Doan had the breaking story. I covered some of the recruiting pipeline conversation at McDonough. I'll talk about that in a second because it's really impressive what they've done down there in Maryland with this particular program. Uh, but getting back to the player they add here, we, we've been wondering for a while, how will Penn State address the edge need in this 2023 cycle. We were keeping an eye on some flyers during you know, camp back in June. It feels like a long time ago. Yeah. Some names have, have come and gone. This is a name that we've always kept on that back burner. What do you think he brings to the field in 2023 for Penn State? 
I think, you know, we, we talk about it so often, how is if, if you go out on the practice field and you make plays and you impress the staff, you're going to get the chance to factor into the defensive line rotation, no matter how young or inexperienced you are. And while I'm not sure Robinson is necessarily that guy, he might need a year or two, I could see him factoring in, and here's why. He's improved so – Robinson's a technician, and I feel like his technique has gotten a lot better as his high school career has gone on. And as he works under John Scott Jr. and gets more of that professional-level tutelage – He's just going to keep getting better and better, and he's going to just going to be much more of a sound player, I think, sooner rather than later. He's a good athlete, but he's not a player who relies on his athleticism to get to the passer. He places his hands really well to move around opposing offensive linemen. He has a very high football IQ, I would say. He just knows what he's doing coming off the line of scrimmage. He's not a guy who relies solely on his athleticism. I think all of that could play into Robinson seeing the field early in his career. Who knows? Maybe as a freshman, like I said, if he puts in the work and he shows out on the practice field, Penn State's going to have a reason to put him out there. He doesn't have to look very far for examples that are close to home that show what you can do early on campus. Deny Dennis Sutton, P.J. Mustafer, each from the McDonough School. Burn red shirts as true freshmen. Devon Ely's did not, but he has become a key member of that defensive tackle rotation. Curtis Jacobs, a two-year starter as a junior. Those four players I just named, uh, Tyler Calvaruzzo, combined for about 1,400 defensive snaps this season. You're going to lose P.J. Mustafer. Curtis Jacobs has a decision to make. Uh, Devon was announced on senior day, but he also could return. Um, and, and then Denai Dennis Sutton's kind of a, a cornerstone of the future plans on defense. And now you're adding Mason Robinson. That's five prospects at the scholarship level, power five level, in six recruiting cycles that Penn State has picked up from this program. I think some people forget that Ely's was considered a top 10 defensive tackle recruit by 24-7 sports assessment. So was P.J. Mustafer. Uh, denied Dennis Sutton, a five-star recruit. Uh, Curtis Jacobs, a five-star talent. So Mason Robinson maybe pales in comparison to that a little bit. And, and in the case of last cycle, you're battling Alabama and Georgia for Deny Dennis Sutton. But you're grabbing a player that you offered as a sophomore. You're never going to miss on a monster down there in McDonough because of what you have in place. Uh, Their head coach has been there for a long time previously as an assistant coach. You've got Kenny Sanders as your national recruiting coordinator here. What what a big boost it was for them to bring him back after some time in Oregon. Uh, He is an alumni. uh, He's an alum of that of that program at McDonough. So there's only so much built in trust and accountability. And I think every time you get one of these guys on campus, get them through a year or two and hey, it's working out for them. Mason Robinson referenced this in his comments with Brian Doan. It's working for these guys, and they're finding success in their own unique ways. And now Mason Robinson wants to find his path at Penn State, and they continue to build that pipeline. And you just know whether it's 2024, 2025, or 2026, there's going to be more offerable talent coming out of McDonough. And who knows, maybe another five-star very soon. Yeah, I think we've already seen it. You know, you bring up it working for McDonough guys at Penn State, and that's probably the biggest factor in this. The fact that it continues to work for guys who play at McDonough, come to Penn State, and go on to have successful careers. As a McDonough coaching staff, forget about the ties that you have to the staff for a second, the personal ties. You're gonna, you are gonna see the success that your kids are having at this program, and you're going to want to put them in a position to succeed at the next level. And Penn State is a place where they have shown time and time again that they could do that. And like you said, man, there's going to be more from McDonough in the coming years. You know, Jeff Eggs and their junior, 2025 edge, they already like him a lot. He's been on campus for visits. So I think you're going to see that continue to play fruition for Penn State moving forward. It's just – it's a really good deal. It's a school you want to be in at, and Penn State is most definitely in. And we, it feels like we see it cycle after cycle at this point with Robinson being the latest to get on board. 
Another thing I'll say aside from them checking off a lot of the athleticism boxes and, and obviously getting to campus and being productive players, personalities across the board for all these guys are great. P.J. Must for a two-time team captain. Uh, Devon Ailes is, is one of our favorite guys to get a chance to talk to, I think, in that defensive line room. He's always entertaining when we get a chance. And then Curtis Jacobs, uh, can't say a bad thing about Curtis Jacobs. He is always a pleasure to deal with. Uh, and then I, Dennis Sutton, I know we haven't had a chance to interact much with him as a media member, uh, but uh, since because the freshman policy that Penn State has in place, but we had him on this podcast a couple times, and I hope our listeners caught him this summer before he enrolled because he put some high expectations out there, but he also was very level-headed and grounded when it came to NIL, when it came to you know being a freshman All-American. You know, He was not really um, – he's not a me guy, and I think that stands out with all these guys. Mason Robinson will learn more about him. Hopefully we get him on the podcast too, but he seems to fit a lot of those profiles based on the comment uh, the comments I've heard from others who have gotten to know him over these last few yeah. years. And let's let's shift uh, it to the other addition this week, Tyler Calvaruso, and, and that is uh, Joseph Mapoye. He is another player who was on campus uh, finishing out his prep career. He had an extra prep year uh, up in Connecticut. He's playing alongside another Nittany Lions commit. So uh, there were some natural, I guess, I guess, connecting pieces to this recruitment, but he's come a long way from Congo and uh, now he's going to be in Happy Valley. Can you talk us through? Uh, can you talk us through this process a bit? Because this is another one that addresses a defensive line that needed to find players late in the process. Came a long way. And it's been a hell of a journey for him. You know, he didn't even come to the United States looking to play football. He, he was a hooper, man. He wanted to play basketball. And then he gets to Archbishop Carroll down in D.C. and he meets Nicholas Harbor and all these guys. Decides to give football a chance. You know, first year there, double-digit sack guy, almost 50 tackles. And I think at that point he kind of realized, hey, look, I, I could get it done on the defensive <laughs> line now. I'm going to go play some football from now on. But, yeah, I mean, just – you know, we talk about Robinson and his ability to contribute right off the bat. I think Mupoy is a little bit more of a, you know, later on in his career, John Scott Jr. gets him coached up. He turns all of the raw traits that Mupoy has, and let me tell you, he has a lot of them. Size, speed, strength, athleticism off the line. He's got a first quick step. He's still learning the game. And I feel like that's always a really big deal with these guys. You know, they're moldable. They're open to coaching, and Mupoy fits that mold. He wants to learn. He wants to keep getting better. And I think the staff really love that about him. And now that he's coming to Penn State, another piece for John Scott Jr. to coach up and really, you know, kind of turn into a potential star. I think he has that kind of upside if everything falls into place for him. Just you can't teach the kind of size that he has, and then you can't teach the athleticism that comes along with it. So another quality addition to close out the cycle. He's, this has been, I feel like, a long time coming from Mupoy. He's been on the radar for so long, gets on campus during the fall, and the chips just fell into place for him and the staff. Tamarian Parker left this class a while ago. He ends yeah. up in Clemson's class, but but it leaves it left a lot of questions about where things were going to go, and those questions lingered uh, through those prospect camps and and through much of the senior seasons, and and those have come and gone. What what do you think now that we're less than or just about two weeks away? Uh, why am I saying two weeks? Yeah, we're less than two weeks. We're about a week away from this from early signing period. What do you think about what John Scott, Dion Barnes have done? and kind of making a rally here at the end and flipping one player and then winning a recruitment after an official visit. I don't think there are going to be any more questions. I could tell you that much. I mean, we sat here on this podcast and we, as all of this was going on, we went through it and we made it very clear that, look, they're going to be doing their evaluating. The board's going to be coming into shape. And man, those two were hard, hard at work figuring out who they wanted to add in this class and who they'd really go hard after. Mupoya was always one of those guys who they really liked 
and his name kept climbing up the board as he continued to impress at St. Thomas More out in Connecticut. And then with Robinson, you know, I know there was overturn on the, on the Northwestern coaching staff. You know, they made changes at defensive coordinator. They made changes on, with their defensive line coach. And all of that played into Robinson looking around. But the fact of the matter is, just because he started looking around doesn't mean Penn State, you know, was going to get back involved. You know, if they didn't do a good job with him, that doesn't necessarily mean Penn State was going to be the place. So Scott Jr. and Barnes did, and the whole staff really just did a really great job with Robinson, you know, staying involved with him, letting him know that they were a legit option for him. And then once that overturn occurred, things ramped up and Robinson already felt comfortable with the staff. And this goes back to May when he picked Northwestern over Penn State. It was never an issue with the Penn State staff that led him to pick Northwestern. He loved the staff. He loved what they were offering. So, again, another situation where I feel that the chips really just fell into place nicely for Penn State. I don't think you could ask for a better end to the cycle on the defensive line than what we're dealing with right now. I th- they got to be thrilled, man, that these two guys can play. And, and we saw Robinson and his parents and, and James Franklin, Anthony Poindexter, John Scott gathered, in, I think, in front of the Christmas tree down there in the Robinson's home on Monday night, all smiles. And I think the staff right now, uh, you, you'd understand why they may not have an opportunity to stop and smile because of what's going on. But uh, really a nice close here with the defensive line. There's a lot going on, though, as you addressed in, in your post weekend uh, right up uh, in your Tyler's morning tidbits that I've really enjoyed reading. I know a lot of our listeners have as well had some fun with that on the message boards the last few days. Um, aside from these two defensive linemen, what stood out to you most and what Penn State was able to accomplish and maybe what they were able to gather and move forward with coming out of a weekend where they had some interesting dynamics in play in the form of these visitors? Just another weekend, I think, you know, the staff and we all, it's the old adage that these guys getting to Penn State is so important because Penn State is kind of an atmosphere unlike no other where kids really do need to visit and see it for themselves. It's one thing, you know, the Zoom calls and the FaceTimes and all that stuff. You really need to get there and see that those bells and whistles aren't just bells and whistles. It's legit substance to what Penn State has to offer. So I think the staff was just able to continue building with a lot of these guys over the weekend. You know, we saw it with Mupoya and Robinson. It obviously resulted in a commitment. Dante Cephas making his way to campus. That visit went well. They gave Kedrick Roscano something to think about, the top 24-7 running back from Texas who took his official visit, former Michigan State pledge, gave him something to think about. I still think they're trailing in that recruitment based on what I've been hearing. But Penn State is on his mind now as he nears a decision. I think the staff has to be pretty proud of themselves for that because heading into that visit, I heard there was a pretty low chance that Rishkano would be even, you know, taking his talents to Penn State. And now he's thinking about it. So just it's a successful weekend. I feel like that's really just the best way to sum up. You know, you can go on and on about the way the staff pitches kids and the way they sell the campus and the facilities and everything the program has to offer. But the fact of the matter is it was just another really successful official visit weekend. And I think you also have to credit commits like Jackson Smolik who were around to kind of, you know, sell their vision to the uncommitted recruits who are on campus because uncommitted recruits always want to hear from the commits. Hey, why did you decide to come to Penn state? What went into your decision? And that factors into their minds as well. So I would say give credit to Smolik and the rest of those guys as well. Really good job on their part. And we're going to hear from Smolik soon. Um, he's actually primed to be a guest on this podcast again soon. So hopefully folks will enjoy that conversation, get a little more feedback on what took place on campus. Uh, a name that you kind of glossed over there, and I'm going to going to bring it back to the forefront, is Dante Cephas, because it's a guy who's very, very productive at Kent State the last couple of seasons. Um, a pretty coveted commodity among this wide receiver group, although there are a lot of good ones. And we, we talked about the natural correlation with Penn State been to campus in the past as a high school kid. Uh, he's from the from the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, what did this visit do with him? And, and and where are they here on a Tuesday afternoon, knowing full well that this is a minute my minute process? 
I'd say it left Penn State in a pretty good spot. I think they were in a good spot coming in, and they left in a better spot. You know, the continued pitch of him being able to come to Penn State, come back home, and be a top target for Geraller. And, you know, they chopped it up. They broke down film. And I just think a lot of good ground was covered. There, there's still a lot of things going on behind the scenes. You know, Cephas' recruitment is playing out in the manner that it's playing out. So we'll have to see where things go. But I, I think Penn State is in a pretty good spot there right now with a pretty prolific player. And he just happened to arrive in Happy Valley fresh off the announcement yeah. that Parker Washington is is heading off to the NFL. That certainly opens up a void in your receiver room, particularly when you factor in Mitchell Tinsley is, is, has one game of eligibility left in his college career. That's a lot of production, leaving Penn State at that position. Um, you mentioned that Riscano, uh, the former Michigan State running back, uh, commit uh, on campus. Not necessarily a rosy outlook there moving forward. Christopher Johnson has been a guy on the radar out of South Florida for some time. Uh, reported last week he wasn't going to be making that visit to Happy Valley. He ends up committing close to home. He's going to play for the Miami Hurricanes. Where does that leave the pursuit of a second running back right now, Tyler? I think Cameron Wallace is the name to know there right now, a three-star from Georgia who was on campus for his official visit in November, and things are going really well there. They've continued to go well. He's going to be at Georgia Tech for an official this weekend, so we're going to see how that one plays out. But Penn State, pretty good spot there right now. I still think they're sitting at the top of his list. All right, and then uh, the, the other big news uh, on a campus visit that didn't happen here in central Pennsylvania, all the way down in Tallahassee, Florida, was Conrad Hussey showing up to check out the Florida State Seminoles facility, spend 48 hours on campus with some family. Um, this was one that was reported by our Florida State site on the day of, on that Friday. Um, what kind of intel were you able to gather from a Penn State perspective? And the fact that he has not flipped here, and we're on a Tuesday coming out of a visit this late in the cycle, still seems notable. The further he gets away from that time in Tallahassee, I'd imagine the better you feel as Nittany Lions staff, though you have to wonder if any other late visits are in the work works as we approach early signing day. Yeah, I think the further you get away from that visit, I agree with that sentiment. The further you get away, you know, the better state Penn State, better shape Penn State is probably in. And I think there's still a lot of confidence around keeping Hussey in the class. I think you know, heading into this final weekend before the early signing period. I think you got to remember Miami's been involved in this recruitment. So we'll see if he makes his way out there. I think Florida State did some good things with Hussey. I, I don't think we could sell short what they accomplished with him over the weekend. I, I do think they made some progress with him and gave him something to think about. But from what I've been hearing, there's still a lot of confidence that Penn, he's going to stick with Penn State's class. So really just another situation day by day we'll be monitoring because there are always new tidbits that could pop up and just new little nuggets of information that could, you know, potentially turn the tide of the recruitment. So we'll see. But right now, I don't think anything is imminent with Hussey when it comes to him moving off his Penn State commitment. Someone else who was on a different campus that we got to address here, Kavion Keys, he backed off that North Carolina commitment after some time in the Tar Heels class, a guy that we've seen crystal ball movement going towards the Nittany Lions, but he was down there with James Franklin's old friend, Brent Pry at Virginia Tech this past weekend. Uh, it's the home stretch. I mean, we've been saying this is one to pay attention to until the home stretch. We're here. Where do you see this going with KV on keys? Are you still optimistic that Penn State is in position to add the four-star linebacker? I am. And, you know, Virginia Tech with keys over the weekend, they pretty much pushed all their chips to the center of the table because they went in home with him before, right before the official visit, and then they got him on campus. And I'm not really sure it moved the needle to the point where the Hokies are going to topple Penn State in this recruitment. I like where our crystal balls are at with him right now. A lot of positive buzz still, and, you know, he, he's closing in on the decision. So we'll see what he decides to do, but I would like where Penn State sits. A couple of blue chips already projected as freshman linebackers next year, and Tamir Robinson and Tony Rojas, Kavion Keys coming off a really strong uh, career down there in Virginia. Uh, before we shift over to Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan, I want to finish off. You had a, another transfer uh, notebook up on a Tuesday 
walk us through it, talk us through it, because my friend, it is happening hour by hour and this thing keeps evolving. Yeah. So Caden Prather, I know that's a name a bunch of Penn State fans are familiar with from previous cycle. West Virginia wideout. He's in the portal and he is once again, the top target for the staff. They're going to be down to check in with him in home. And, you know, this was a, a high school recruitment that obviously came before my time covering the program. But, you know, looking back at it, Penn State was in a really good position to land Prather until Gerard Parker took his talents to West Virginia to become their offensive coordinator and Prather wound up following. So I think Penn State was in that good spot with Prather coming out of high school, and they're going to be in a good spot with him once again. And then Dante Thornton, another name Penn State fans are pretty familiar with. Staff's going to be checking in with him soon. Expectation that he's going to be on campus for a visit this weekend. I think Penn State would really love the close with those two guys because they've been looking to add at receiver ever since portal season started. They want to get more explosive there. They want more quality depth, and that is something that those two guys and Cephas could bring to the table. So definitely a lot of movement at the receiver position right now through the portal. And a new cornerback name to know, Gavin Holmes from Wake Forest. Really solid cover guy. I'll admit I didn't really know a lot about Holmes until he picked up his offer from Penn State. And I went and watched his tape. Nine pass breakups this past season at Wake Forest. Four pass breakups and an interception the year before. Really quality cover corner. You know, he's not afraid to get in your face at the line of scrimmage. He's got good ball skills in zone, downfield. I like what he has to offer, and he's, he's received some power five opportunities. So we're going to have to see where that recruitment goes in terms of, you know, Penn State's interest and if he ever makes it to campus. Kyrie Jackson, I think he's a pretty clear top target at corner right now. You know, Thunshell Cypress from Virginia is kind of looking elsewhere. So Jackson from the Alabama, former Alabama player, we got a little bit of starting time in Nick Saban's secondary this past season. I think he's a pretty clear top guy right now. And then Terry Roberts from Iowa, I think more of a possible depth addition, who, you know, got kind of jack of all trades guy who could do a little bit of everything for you. He's on the radar as well. He's still very much in play. Yeah, cornerback, receiver, priority spots. Yeah. Looking at me, multiple guys at the receiver position right now as Penn State tries to fortify things for an offense that already has a lot of reasons to be excited. And, and you're feeling like maybe there's some missing pieces. You're selling that with Drew Aller. Uh, interesting time, my friend, and, and we'll yeah, talk about it. I know you'll have a lot to write about at lines247.com, and we'll try to get you on again this week. I'd imagine the news would dictate we will, um, but we'll stay tuned. Two commitments in the bag for Penn State here. It's Tuesday afternoon. The week is early. Uh, we'll, we'll stay locked in with you, man. Of course, man. Looking forward to being back. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. 
let's turn our attention over to the Rose Bowl and a little bit of the pre-Rose Bowl uh, hype that we're looking at here. There's the time when players can start to capitalize on the extra practice, extra reps on the practice field. And that's going to be our focus to start this discussion with Daniel Gallen and Mark Brennan. We'll get into some basketball conversation as well because Penn State pulled off a surprise on Saturday and they did it emphatically. But Daniel and Mark, good to have you back on board. Tyler just covered a lot of ground with our transfer portal talk uh, and with our uh, recruiting conversation. One thing he noted there at the end, I'm sure you heard, cornerback is a top priority and so is wide receiver and a big reason I'd imagine although maybe not as much of a surprise to the staff as it was to some fans out there Parker Washington turning pro Daniel you have the story ready locked and loaded just in case this went down it happened on Friday uh, what's your general reaction to Parker Washington personal decision because he's not coming off of a, a lighted up kind of year and then how it impacts immediately Rose Bowl preparation he, I mean, let me know. He's out for, for, for the, for, out for the Rose Bowl, but how do you think this re receiver group moves forward toward the Rose Bowl? Yeah, Parker Washington's decision didn't really surprise me, um, I guess. I, I think you look at his body of work, and it was pretty – like, it was fine. Uh, you know, he's quietly going to leave Penn State as one of the most productive wide receivers uh, in program history. Uh, his season last year, playing behind Jahan Dotson – uh, was one of the better single season <clears throat> uh, campaigns. But I mean, I think for me, the big thing with this decision that I was really curious to see, um, and this will be one of those things where hindsight, of course, is going to be 2020 on this one, as it almost always is with draft decisions. But, you know, his availability for the pre-draft process, how long he's going to be out, um, if he can't test uh, during the combine or pro day, then you're going to have, then if you're an NFL team, you're going to have to look at those highlights um, from the past two or three years and and decide if that's, you know, the player that you want. Um, Taylor Stubblefield and talking about Parker Washington as a draft prospect said that if you're going to play in the NFL, you have to do something elite. Uh, and he said that Parker Washington's hands are elite. Um, we saw some really, really good ball skills uh, at various points. He had that catch against Arkansas in the Outback Bowl. He had that catch against Minnesota in the whiteout. Um, there's probably a lot of other ones in there I'm forgetting, too. Um, he's an interesting prospect, given his build. It's kind of the cliche where he's built like a running back, 5'10", 212 pounds, can make some plays with the ball in his hands. Um, so, you know, I think the one thing that he has going for him is that in the NFL, like everyone needs wide receivers. Like the base offense for a lot of teams now is just 11 personnel. So if you're a slot and you're quality, there's probably going to be a home for you. Um, and it only takes one team to, to fall in love with you to go from a fourth or fifth round pick to a second or third round pick. So it'll be an interesting pre-draft process. I mean, if he come, if he came back and played with Drew Aller, probably could have made himself some more money. Um, but you know, he did watch Jahan Dotson do that. You know, he had a front row seat for Dotson's decision to come back, uh, and really boost his stock. Um, and also, I mean, he is a family member in the NFL too. Um, I believe his sister is still working with the Chicago Bears, uh, if I'm correct. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff in play there uh, for Parker Washington. But, you know, one of those decisions that didn't really surprise me, it can go either way. I, I don't particularly have strong feelings on it either way, but it does make things really interesting for this uh, wide receiver core moving forward, because you're going to have to replace two starters now with Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley moving on.
And the way they were playing offense at the end of the season was only two starters, a uh, wide receiver. They were rolling with two tight end sets week in, week out uh, with Theo Johnson and Brenton Strange. We saw Tyler Warren as he got healthy again toward the end of the season. And as Parker Washington wasn't available, he was going 25 plus snaps in, in those last couple of matchups. And Mark, Mitchell Tinsley is is heading out of town as well. Uh, this is essentially doing the math yesterday. And I, and I checked it a few times, so I'm going to trust it. 62% of your entire wide receiver production is moving on to professional football and you're left with a group that we'd imagine is going to be very soon perhaps uh, supplemented by transfer portal additions maybe you get another number one target out of the transfer portal maybe you get a number one and a number two target but the man that this kind of puts a lot of spotlight on for me as we get into the the bowl preparation is Keandre Lambert Smith um, you know, he bookended this regular season with a couple pretty impressive performances at Purdue in the opener and then against Michigan State in, in the regular season finale. But overall, 21 catches, 265 yards, three touchdowns. And he told us himself in November it was not what he envisioned for himself as a junior who's now played in over 30 Penn State games. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, he flashed, right? I mean, we saw moments where he would just looked, you know, absolutely terrific. And, you know, maybe in some weird way, not having Parker Washington uh, frees him up a little bit to to, 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 to to do a little bit more. I mean, I think we saw some of that against Michigan State. But, you know, as much as I'm looking at him, because I think we know what we get in Keandre Lambert-Smith. Inconsistency, right? I mean, so showing consistency would be would be a nice start. And uh, that's a key. But I think these bowl practices are going to be huge. I mean, you go down this list of, of younger wideouts. Malik Mega, it looks like he's banged up. We saw him at a basketball game with his hand heavily wrapped. So I'm guessing he's going to be out. But then you have Liam Clifford, Trey Wallace, Amari Evans, three guys we saw some of, you know, more obviously of Harrison Wallace. But I think it's big for all those guys. And what about a guy like Kristen Driver? I mean, they move him over from defense, I would assume, uh, he's going to get a really long look at offense in these bowl practices. Uh, Tyler Johnson, Caden Saunders, I mean, all these guys, Anthony Ivey, all of these guys, these extra bowl practices, I think are going to be gigantic. Not necessarily for them to make an impact in the bowl, but for them to kind of set a tone at the end of this season heading into spring ball because there's going to be a lot of playing time available. Obviously, we're going to have to wait to see what comes out of the transfer portal. But a lot of playing time available for some of these younger players, some of them like Harrison Wallace, Wallace who really flashed. Yeah, and then you, you look at, at beyond those top four guys, Lambert Smith, Washington, Tinsley, and then Wallace. No one else had 100 snaps at, at wide receiver except for Omari Evans. He was just over 100 snaps as a, as, a, as a freshman. So there's kind of like you're looking for the in-between area, and Harrison Wallace fills that between the veterans and then – the freshman, and then the only other guy that really fits the bill right now because Malik Mega has really carved out a role in special teams. You mentioned that that injury might be in play there. Uh, Jaden Dotton's been out of sight uh, in terms of game activity since the Ohio matchup in September. But Liam Clifford, to me, is is one that you know he gained some momentum toward the tail end of the season. Taylor Stubblefield described him as kind of coming into his own as a personality and as a player for this program right now. And Big brother is going to be moving on. He's going to be out of that shadow if there ever was one. And it seems like Drew Aller is a fan of Liam Clifford in this early work. So he's another guy that I circle. And I just think you can go across the board here, a wide receiver, Daniel, and you just you know that someone's got to step up. You can name eight names, and we'll probably do that between now and through spring ball. 
they need three, four of these guys to step up, fill roles on the two deep, because I do have a lot of confidence that they're going to take care of business on the transfer portal, come away uh, with guys who are starter quality, maybe two of them. Uh, but but that's still not going to uh, you know get rid of a need for you to have that cultivation of talent that you went out, you recruited and you've had on your own campus. And that's the necessary step for this room now. Yeah, I mean, even if you grab two starter quality players out of the transfer portal, you still have to have that depth. You still have to be developing uh, behind them because like we saw this year with Parker Washington going down, injuries can happen and you're going to need someone you know who's there to be able to step up. Um, but I think as we go into the bowl practice and uh, I think Liam Clifford is, is one of the more interesting players to watch. Uh, like you said, after Parker Washington went down, Penn State really leaned on those two tight end sets uh, in terms of you know starting Theo Johnson and Brenton Strange um, as opposed to starting three wide receivers. Um, so I think that Liam Clifford is someone who, with a month of practice, can potentially move into that slot um, spot because that's where we we saw him working in practice, um, and that's where we saw him play late in games where he did show that chemistry with Drew Aller. Um, and I think that's something to to be expected. You know, if Drew Aller is, is running with the twos in, in practice a lot, that's where Liam Clifford and Omari Evans are. And I think early in the season, Aller showed a lot of chemistry with Omari Evans, hit him for that long touchdown against Ohio. Uh, and then later in the season, in, in those garbage time reps, you know, he looked to Liam Clifford over the middle, um, you know, a couple times. So I think that'll be a player to watch as we go forward. Um, you know, with a month to game plan, you know, how does Penn State approach this? We still don't know kind of what the overall, you know, personnel groupings will look like in either of those positions because guys still have to make decisions. Guys still have to make announcements um, that I'm sure will be trickling out at pretty inconvenient times for us. So we'll we'll see how this goes over the next couple of weeks. But, you know, I am interested to see what it looks like with Liam Clifford because, you know, I think we saw Harrison Wallace take that step you know, where he was the, the clear number four. Um, they never really got that clear number five or six, like I think that we expected them to. And there's all that talk about having that two deep uh, across, um, you know, across the three spots. That didn't really materialize this year. Um, but I think that Liam Clifford is someone that if he comes through bowl practice, comes through the Rose Bowl and looks playable, looks competent, I think that that is what you need. Um, out of this position group, whether or not you're adding one or two or however many starters from the portal. You guys just want another Clifford to drive Pedro for another few seasons, right? <laughs> isn't, isn't that what you're getting at? There must oh. always be a Clifford in State College, yes. And and, and by the way, Utah is going to be without an All-American cornerback for this matchup and Clark Phillips the third, who, who opted out of the Rose Bowl and declared for the 2023 NFL Draft. So just like Joey Porter, not part of the equation, uh, Utah with, with, without a shutdown cornerback here. So we'll see what that might open up for the passing game. And Caden Saunders, I know it was mentioned – kind of listing off those young guys, but specifically him because of, you know, we, we viewed him as a top 100 prospect. That's a lot of prowess coming out of the 24 seven sports rankings. And he's a guy that Taylor Stubblefield was pretty candid about, you know, just developing mentally and physically during his first year on campus to get where he needed to be, to make a contribution in the game. We haven't seen that come to fruition played twice early in the fall 
I'm curious if he if he can get some run and you know it's going to take a quality quality stretch of bowl practices here. So if we do see him pop up there in some game action, I think that says a lot about where he's positively trending coming out of this season. Um, but let's face it, the guy who's going to be distributing the ball to a bunch of these young receivers next year is the player to watch these next few weeks because Sean Clifford has gotten the veteran treatment in, in preseason camp and at different periods of the season where he spent some time watching the ones work. Feels like there should be a lot of that happening. I know you want to go out, you want to look sharp against Utah. Uh, I think there's you do everything within your power within these next few weeks, preparing for a big matchup against a very high quality opponent to simulate what it's going to be like for Drew come next year when it's his show to run. You're going to have Sean Clifford there looking over his shoulder. He won't have that next year uh, to help him and guide him. But I think this is a huge proving ground, not necessarily for, for whether or not he gets any action in the game, but just to, to get on the same page with Mike Yersich because there are so many things these two guys have discovered about themselves through their first, what, 11 months together. But one thing they haven't done is be, you know, the offensive coordinator and the QB1 preparing for a matchup. They're not going to quite have that on their plate this time around, but I think because of the circumstances, you can simulate that pretty well. Yeah, I thought one of the cool things was the way the level of communication between Yersich and Clifford seemed to develop as this season went along. I thought it was a little disjointed last year, and I, I'm not saying that being critical of e either side. I mean, it's just, you know, you have Clifford who's worked with 75 different offensive coordinators, and it's not always a, a smooth transition. I thought as this season went along, you really started to see that. And why is that important? Because Drew Aller was right there watching all of that unfold. And I'll go back to what I've said uh, from, from the midway point of this season. When there was a lot of debate over who should be starting, Sean Clifford, uh, you know, obviously through that gauntlet uh, in October, struggled, and a lot of debate back and forth. But I thought the chemistry also between Clifford and Aller just looked tremendous. I mean, when Aller had a chance to play, Clifford was the first guy to congratulate him coming off the field and vice versa. So I think those dynamics going into bowl season, just I think that's a real positive. And I'll say this, too. I mean, how important is this bowl season going to be for Bo Prabula? Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden now you have a guy who didn't play is now your number two with Christian Veyer going into the portal. Uh, so I think it's as important as it is for Aller we kind of know what we're going to get from him. You know, we, we didn't see everything, and there were still some rough edges, but, you know, obviously the upside was was so high that I'm reaching out of my screen. But uh, with, with Pribula, we, we just don't really have a great feel. We saw him in practice. He looked decent in practice when we saw him, but the fact of the matter is we didn't see a lot of 11-on-11 uh, of 11 11 scrimmages or even 7-on-7 seven seven work in practice. So I think this is going to be really big for him to kind of set that foundation again. I mean, I keep saying it, but it's true. Using these bowl practices as a springboard to launch into spring practice is really important for these young players. So as big as it is for Aller, I think it's it's as big for his classmate. I think in terms of work ethic, the, the athletic piece of it, and also his, his role as a teammate, Bo Prabula has been exactly who Penn State staff thought they were getting this time last year. Remember, he, he stuck with this commitment after Drew Aller came on board, after the offensive coordinator that he committed to got canned. I mean, he, he there was a lot that took place that could have made him look elsewhere. We know the history 
kid who grew up wearing Penn State jerseys around neighborhood, tossing the football around. This is a dream come true. He's going to stick to that dream. And I think the one thing that we were wondering about was he developed that polish as a passer. And I still think there's a ways to go with that with Bo Perbula. But the feedback you get from freshman year, I think, is very good, um, especially considering as of right now, I, and I don't think it's any kind of a, a, a really good sell in the transfer portal to bring someone in. He's looking like the next man up at quarterback next year. And Jackson Smolik's got to come in and, and fill that role of QB3 potentially right off the bat, which is not an easy thing to do for a true freshman. And by the way, you've got to find a quarterback on your practice field to throw some balls at your defense and do his best to emulate Cameron Rising, who is coming into this matchup very hot. So Bo Perbula is going to have a, a couple different hats to wear. He's going to see an uptick in, in that varsity practice usage, I would imagine. But also, he's going to have to probably be that Cameron Rising. There's no walk-on quarterbacks on this roster. And now Christian Veyer is exploring other options. So uh, something to monitor there. And just before we get to the defensive side, some guys to watch here, um, offensive line. I mean, th there's so many places you can go here. And Olu Fashionu is the storyline we're watching, I think, at this point. Um, you would be pleasantly surprised if you got to see him play football here again this Penn State football season. You're happy that he's back for you in 2023. The two guys I go to here because you can play them without concern about redshirt, Daniel, is J.B. Nelson. And I'm particularly curious, might we see him at least warm up in the game with some tackle reps when we're out there in Southern California and we're watching some practice? Might he be working at tackle a little bit? Because I'm curious what that could indicate about his plans going into next spring. And then the other one is someone I brought up quite a bit here, Vega Ione. Uh, someone who worked in at right guard in the season finale. I think he would have played quite a bit more football this year if, if uh, the NCAA made it a six-game red shirt rule instead of a four-game. They were ready to use this guy. I think he was ready to play. What a late addition he was. So those are the two guys I would go to on the offensive line. But uh, there's a lot to like about this whole unit getting a full month's work. And Caden Wallace, I mean, let's throw him in there. Where is he at? So there, there's a lot to look at with that group. Definitely. I, I think the three guys that you highlighted, Wallace, Ioane, and, and Nelson, are, are kind of the, the three to watch. Um, I mean, Caden Wallace has been, you know, he hasn't been out of sight uh, the for the second half of the season. You know, we, we saw him on the practice fields. You know, we saw him um, doing a little work, but he was pretty much out of mind uh, on Saturdays. There were there's never a situation where he needed to come into a game. So I'm curious to see where he's at. Um, if he's able to play, if they bring back that right tackle rotation uh, with Bryce Effner. Uh, but then the other two guys, uh, you know, this is a very big, um, you know, couple of weeks for them. I mean, you talk about Olu, and I think the one way to look at, um, you know, these bowl practices just for the, uh, you know, the big picture when it comes to these younger players is who is going to be this year's Olu uh, in terms of someone who has the potential that the staff likes um, and then is able to do enough um, over these bowl practices and, and in the bowl game to really put themselves into a position. Uh, because when you think about uh, where things were uh, last spring and even into the summer and the fall, you know, Olu had that left tackle spot locked down. You know, Juice and Caden Wallace were penciled in as starters at, at center and right tackle, but those are two guys that had played a lot of football, whereas Olu had one start and they were rolling with him. Um, so you kind of think about, okay, who, who on the team can do something similar where springboard in the spring so that when you get in the fall, there's kind of no question. Um, but back to the offensive line, I mean, I am very curious to see what JB Nelson, uh, can do, you know, he can play guard and tackle. Um, and that's a pretty unique skill set. Um, I think right now with, with kind of how this group is constructed, 
um, because you need to think about who's going to be that that versatile swing guy next year. Uh, Bryce Effner was it last year. Um, he didn't really have to be that as much this year because of that increased depth. Um, but if J.B. Nelson can show those traits, it's a very valuable piece to have uh, when it comes to depth. Um, and then Vanga Ioane, I mean, I'm just really excited to see him get extended run um, to see what he can do in that guard spot. He's such a big guy for being so young um, and, you know, is just built like kind of your ideal interior offensive lineman. So I really want to see what he's able to do. Um, you know, I don't think Utah really has the same kind of show-stopping interior defensive lineman they've had, you know, in the past under Kyle Whittingham. Um, but there's still some guys in there that are going to be some competition for younger players like Vanga. So that's someone who I think everyone should really have circled, you know, on game day, where's number 71? When is he in the game? What can he do? What does it look like in extended time for him? Yeah, Ioane will go into next year with four years of eligibility. J.B. Nelson will have two more years of eligibility to work with. And then across the trenches, uh, Mark, there are a couple names that that have been buzzing for a long time. In Zane Durant's case, it's been almost a full year since we started hearing, hearing the feedback with him. Um, both kind of had dress rehearsal kind of seasons in, in Zane Durant and deny Dennis Sutton. Dennis Sutton had three sacks, um, hit that mark pretty early on. It stayed there. But those two, you'd imagine, very important stretch of play here working with John Scott. We know that the defensive line room is going to lose a a big-time leader, big-time player in P.J. Mustafer. They could lose other pieces. And then the other guy I'll just throw out there is is Keziah Izzard, who came in uh, to action in October and I felt just ran with that opportunity and closed out uh, playing as one of this team's top interior, most disruptive defensive linemen. Yeah, I mean, with uh, with Zane Durant, I mean, I actually thought we were going to see more of him, didn't you guys? I mean, we it, that's kind of all the tea leaves that we were reading. But when he got out there, I mean, in those pass rush packages, uh, he was really fun to watch. Uh, is there? I give him a lot of credit. I don't know why he was out, uh, but obviously, the, you know, something w- was up there, and I don't think it was injury wise early in the season. But when he got back, he didn't waste much time establishing himself. You know, maybe what their second or third best defensive tackle behind PJ Mustafer. I mean, he was out there playing some dominating football. So, you know, both of those guys, I think the 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 bowl practices will be big for. Uh, Deny. I mean, I just think his upside is is so huge that the more snaps you could possibly get him, the better. We're still waiting on Nick Tarburton. You know, what decision uh, is he going to make? Adisa uh, Isaac, what decision is he going to make? Uh, so, but I, I think regardless of what decisions those guys make, we're going to see more and more of uh, Deny Dennis Sutton uh, in the spring and, and next season. I think he's that good. Not necessarily that he's going to pass him on the depth chart, but he's going to see more snaps, I think, than he saw this year. And then, listen, I mean, it, I wonder what's cooking with Smith Vilbert, right? I mean, it, it, will he be out of that uh, scout team jersey <laughs> heading into the bowl? Has he earned his way out of that doghouse, or is he still going to be in it? And you know, will he be with the team come come spring? But obviously, he was a guy who flashed in the last bowl game, and if they play him in this one, maybe he can become like the greatest bowl defensive end in the history of Penn State football because he had what three? Was it three or four sacks last year? Three three sacks in the first half of the Outback Bowl. Those remain his only three career sacks. Yeah. So I I don't I mean. In all seriousness, uh, you know, he and Izzard both began the season uh, not playing and he ended the season not playing. So we'll see if they try to work him back into things. But uh, so those are some of the names up front. But I, you know, 
as I look at this, to me, those guys that you talked about on the defensive line, you know, they played a significant amount of football. You know the snaps better than I do, but I look back at those safety positions and I think some of those young guys, you know, I won't I won't dominate just talking and talking and talking, but as I look at the defense, which young players I'm really going to be keeping an eye on, uh, it's going to be Winston and it's going to be um, drawing a blank on Wheatley. Wheatley. Uh, okay. Yeah, both because both of those guys, I think, are going to be in a position to fight for, for, for a starting job. And, you know, both have, have really flashed at times. Obviously, Wheatley, Mr. Turnover King, and K.J. Winston, just a big physical safety. Uh, I know you're talking about Cam Miller, a cornerback. But I, as I look at it, I think we might be able to learn a little bit more about those guys than some of the D linemen. Winston could be that Olu of this postseason I feel I mean the things you hear coming out of that safety room uh from some of his teammates from this coaching staff um considering what we have seen from that position ahead of him the fact that he's still able to turn heads like this on the practice field and do some freakish things um he's gotten a lot of his run uh in in late in games and he's gotten run on special teams KJ Winston's a, a name to circle going into spring ball and we'll see maybe maybe he's able to do some things in this game uh but as safety if Jair Brown were to play and and, and to this point we're going to assume he will play until he tells us otherwise. Uh, that's going to take up a bunch of reps. J Jalen Reed has essentially been getting the starters reps as well, um, although Keaton Ellis has been the starter each game. And then, as you said, Zaki Wheatley's played a bunch. So there has been a lot of room for Winston, but we didn't see much of Olu Fashionu last year, and it took a few games for him to be at the top of NFL draft board. So we'll learn more. K.J. Winston, by the way, a true freshman uh, right now, one of the 10 who burned his redshirt status. Cam Miller, who I referenced there, I thought maybe Mark was going that direction. I think he's somebody to watch because Joey Porter Jr., we know he's not around. That meant more involvement for Marquise Wilson late in the season. It meant more involvement for Ken Miller late in the season. A Daquan Hardy also a presence there. I think Miller, though, you're losing Christian Driver from the cornerback room quickly as a, as a freshman transitioning out. Jeffrey Davis was a redshirt freshman. He has hit the transfer portal. So the development of Ken Miller, which is moving in a good direction right now, burning redshirt in that room, but that's something that I think is going to be very important for the, the future of that room, even if they bring in an experienced transfer player. And, guys, going into the heart of this defense, we've, we've covered the, the trenches and the, and the secondary. Kobe King, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but he finished this season on a high note. He was playing about 50% of the reps at Mike Linebacker with Tyler Elsden late in the season. That was not the case for much of the season. It was more of a two-third split going to Elsden. Daniel, it, it, I know you're on board with this, but I, I think that Kobe King has an opportunity to close this with a bit of a frenzy and give us a lot to chew on. And more importantly, Manny Diaz and this coaching staff a lot to chew on as they try to piece together what their depth chart might look like heading into 2023. Kobe King was definitely one of the you know surprises or maybe better term would be a riser over the last month of the season where you saw him taking the steps that – I think some of us thought we might see in September or even in October with kind of all the discussion about, yeah, there's competition there. Both of them are going to play. Um, I think we expected to see Kobe King take those steps forward. Um, I think maybe we thought it would happen a little bit earlier than it did, you know, maybe in early October after non-conference play as opposed to in November. But that's also credit to Tyler Elsden uh, for, for holding down that job. But, you know, Kobe King looked great in that Indiana game uh, when he got some extended time when Elsden was banged up. And then he was really able to carry that momentum um, through. And I think that when you look at this linebacker room is, you know, last year, depth was a huge question and they made it through unscathed. 
this year, depth was, again, a bit of a question um, in terms of what was behind the starters, bringing Jonathan Sutherland down. Um, and I think having someone like Kobe King take that step forward, have Elsden have that development, um, you know, mention, you have to mention Abdul Carter when you talk about this linebacker room. Um, and then even Dom DeLuca uh, becoming playable um, at that Sam spot. I think it really did a lot for the depth in this room. Um, I think Kobe King is a main reason why you feel really good about this room moving forward. Even though you know you're going to lose Jonathan Sutherland, Curtis Jacobs has a decision to make. Um, but knowing that Abdul Carter is here uh, and Kobe King is someone who, if he needs to take on a bigger role at that mic spot, uh, is really capable. So it will be interesting to see how this linebacker room shakes out for the Rose Bowl, what that split looks like. Is it 50-50? Is it 60-40? What direction is that split in? Um, you know, where is Tyler Elsden health-wise? How does he use this time off uh, between the end of the season and the bowl game? Um, there's, you know, some really interesting things, I think, to play out. But I think Kobe King has really added something to this defense down the stretch. And as you look forward in this linebacker room, um, that is going to have you know, a couple more new faces come into it next year. Uh, with some of these signees in 2023 that are pretty intriguing prospects. Um, I think knowing that Kobe King is someone who can contribute and probably will contribute uh, in some way, I, I think is a really big boost for Manny Diaz for James Franklin. King is a redshirt freshman. Elsden is a redshirt sophomore. By the way, King preserved that redshirt status last year by not playing in the Outback Bowl. Um, and and Keon Wiley, just another name that we'll continue to keep tabs on. He's essentially played the role of the opposing team's top linebacker during his freshman season on the scout team, gotten some late action, uh, but also one of those young linebackers that they're working with. But yeah, it goes without saying, Abdul Carter yeah, developing quite nicely and uh, he may mess around and go win himself a Rose Bowl MVP uh, to cap this thing off. Wouldn't surprise Guys, we'll be back uh, for media day uh, in Beaver Stadium. If the weather allows, I suppose, at this point on Friday, it'll be an opportunity to catch up with James Franklin, the coordinators. Uh, Mark, don't want to spend too much time previewing that event, but I'm just curious what you're uh, most interested in being able to ask of the coaching staff because it's been a few weeks since the season wrapped up. Yeah, you know, one thing I, I wonder, and I know people probably get riled up over this, but I, I just wonder what their thoughts are on Clifford moving forward, you know? <laughs> In terms of what his pro potential is, because you 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 know you see a Mister Irrelevant. Heard much on it. You're right. I know, I know. We see a Mister Irrelevant in San Francisco, and every time I was watching that kid, I, I, I'm not suggesting that Clifford is going to be the next Purdy. I'm not, but you know he's going to take his chances, and I'm just interested to see what Franklin has to say, uh, and Yursich has to say about what they think he could possibly do. Uh, I I don't know. I just don't know. I think it's going to be tough for him. Because uh, I don't think he has the great arm. I don't think he. I don't think he can offset that with great mobility. But he's played a ton of football. He's been around forever. Uh, so let's see. And if not, I think as James Frank was saying, he's probably going to have a lot of other things kind of opening up for him. But also, you know, are we going to get any clarity on some of the guys who have been banged up? We were just talking about the uh, the linebackers. You know, Therese Mill, uh, Mills. Um, you know, is he still not going to be available? Uh, Malik Mega, who we saw with his hand at, again at a basketball game, I mean, we couldn't help but see it. It's not like we're <laughs> reporting stuff, even though he was trying to hide it in one of the pitch pictures on, uh, uh, but, but those kind of things. And obviously, you know, who has made what decisions? Have guys made decisions? We're still kind of here in waiting mode. Uh, but, you know, at this point, I think no news is good news. 
but if you're a Penn State fan, you know, who knows? And then one last thing, you know, we, we were talking about uh, Jair Brown. Um, will How will they approach some of these guys who, if they do play, you, you know have an awful lot at stake NFL draft-wise? Because we saw it with Saquon Barkley in his final year. They go out to the Fiesta Bowl, and they really evenly split carries, and we even saw more of Miles Sanders. So is that something that they take into account in this game with if they play with a Jair Brown, with a P.J. Mustafer? You know, guys who don't necessarily project as first-round picks, and, you know, they have a lot to go out and prove during the whole run-up to the draft. So this game is, I'm sure, important for them, but there are a lot of very important things for them afterwards. So some, just some different things kind of spitballing what, what, what's kind of going through my mind. One thing, that, yeah. uh, one, one thing that I want to add about the, the timelines for decisions is that I think last year Brandon Smith was the first uh, NFL declaration, um, and that wasn't until December 17th, um, and it's December 13th today. So we still have, I think, a, a long way to go. Uh, in terms of what this roster is going to look like uh, by, by the time we get to the Rose Bowl. And to piggyback off what Mark said in terms of, you know, getting questions about clarity and, and things like that, I think the one thing that that I want to know is, you know, did they learn anything from last year in the run-up to the bowl game? Has Did that experience with the opt-outs uh, and getting kind of put into that position uh, at a couple spots, like linebacker, uh, where there was some talk about burning red shirts and, and things like that. Has that changed how, you know, they, you know, approach things behind the scenes? What did they learn from that? Um, I think that that's something that is, is pretty interesting to me uh, when you talk about how the landscape has changed a little bit and, you know, how things look a little bit different, but, you know, I mean, Mitchell Tinsley committed on Christmas Eve, Joey Porter Jr. said he was coming back on Christmas day. Uh, I think Jahan Dotson announced when we were, I was in the airport at Dulles getting ready to, to fly down to Florida uh, that week. So we've got a, we've got a long way to go for, for some clarity on these things. Ar- Arnold Abiquete announced on our way from bowl practice to the hotel in Tampa. Uh, so it, we were, we were coming back from Penn state, right? So yeah, we've got a lot to monitor all the way when we're out in Pasadena. We'll make that clear. But right now you've got two teams that are both missing all American cornerbacks. You've got two teams that are both missing the regular season leading receiver. That's wide receiver Parker Washington here for Penn state. And then tight end Dalton Kincaid uh, at tight end for Utah. Uh, I, the one thing I, I just really want to get an opportunity to check in on is Manny Diaz. Um, you know, his name has surfaced for some of these coaches jobs you'd understand particularly when they're down in florida and coming off the year he had i've said it a lot feels like a lot uh, makes a lot of sense considering what he's got on this roster and where he's at to, to continue building and and then this time next year who knows where he could land and my question you want to get many ideas because we heard james franklin talk about next year and what it'll mean to have that offseason of preparation. would like to hear Manny Diaz talk about next year and, and, and kind of build on, you know, season one. There's always been, I think, since the moment they brought in Manny Diaz, it's this kind of a one-year rental situation for a coach who's in between being a head coach at two different locations. And right now, um, you know, my hope is that we'll get Diaz along with the other coordinators uh, on Friday. And we're still waiting for those details. But whenever we get them and whenever we get a chance to cover uh, everything uh, at Beaver Stadium in the media room, Follow us on lines247.com for the latest. I wanted to finish here with some basketball conversation. Um, I know we only have a few minutes left here, but Mark, uh, I mean, they took it to Illinois, number 17 ranked team, number 17 ranked team in the country last Saturday. 
double-digit victory for the Penn State Nittany Lions, and it comes off of a deflating loss in the Big Ten opener at home against Michigan State. Make sense of this. It's the easiest thing in the world to figure out. And I talked to the to our friends from Illini Inquirer who, who do a great job in the 24-7 network. Uh, it was either the day before or the day of that game. Well, it might have to be the day before. Uh, but when this team makes three-pointers, it, it can compete with and beat anybody. I mean, it, and that's it's as simple as that. I mean, Penn State was 12 of 24 from three in that game. It didn't play a perfect game. Cam Winter didn't score. I mean, but then you have Miles Dredd going five of nine and Andrew Funk going you know six of nine from three, and that is the absolute great equalizer. When they're able to do that, I mean, it puts other teams in a real bind. And and you know, not only were they making shots, they were making them at just absolute clutch moments. You know, Illinois scraps back from being down double digits. And Funk beats the uh, beats the shot clock with a with a, a crazy three pointer. Then he hits another one, and Dread hits one. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Was it a fourteen nothing spurt that they had in like a minute? You know, I, I the, the stat I had was that they scored five baskets in that in that uh, two and a half minutes. I'm sorry, but they scored five baskets in, in that run, and they scored four baskets the whole rest of the second half. So again, this was not a perfectly played game. But when you can hit at that clip, you're going to be in it against just about everybody. And if you go back to the Michigan State game, that was their worst three-point shooting game of the season. The first time they were under 30%, they can lose to anybody too. So it is going to be a wild ride. You know, there are going to be some tough losses and there are going to be some thrilling wins like we saw against Illinois. But it really, it's not difficult to figure out when they're bombing into threes, they have a chance against anybody. Daniel, they're seven and three. They just won by 15 on the road at Illinois. And you wrote about this coming out of the victory. Last year, this was very much a roster and a program in transition, I think it's fair to say. You're meshing with the new coaching staff, some holdover players. Seems like they've got some identifiable senior warriors, as Shrewsbury called them. Yeah, I mean, it, it all starts with, with Jalen Pickett. Uh, I mean, he, he should have had a triple-double against Michigan State. Uh, the, the way that he was playing, the way that he was finding his teammates uh, for open shots kind of plays into what Mark said about when the shots aren't falling, it, it can be pretty tough for this team to win. Um, but Pickett was just masterful, um, especially in that Illinois game. Uh, for someone who's listed at six foot four, he's maybe one of the, the better post players uh, I've seen in college, college basketball in a long time. Uh, he just it really plays in control, um, you know, knows what the play is. You know, every once in a while, there's there's a wild shot there. But, um, you know, I think that he is someone who just kind of always seems to know where to go, know what he's doing, uh, making the smart play. And I think he's really in sync uh, with with the coaching staff, with what Shrewsbury wants, uh, with what the game plan is. And and that really comes through. So, you know, I, I think that having him having Funk, um, I mean, you look at that starting lineup that they ran out there at Illinois, it was four fifth year seniors and then a fourth year senior. Um, so they're leaning on guys that have been through a lot that have seen a lot of things. And I think that that's something that could really pay off for them when you get really deep into league play in January, February, and maybe even into March. Well, this, I mentioned last time we talked about the basketball program, the stop and start nature, uh, and they don't play again until Sunday, uh, against Canisius, um, and, and then Quinnipiac is next up in Delaware state. So some time until the next big 10 matchup, but uh, 10 game sample size, we'll leave it here. Mark Brennan, uh, what are your overall 
lessons learned from this team? And do you think they legitimately have the ability to maybe play into March? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think they legitimately have that ability. I'm going to steal something Daniel said uh, while we were texting after the Illinois game. But this next stretch of games, I think it is imperative for them to get a ton of minutes for Kebajai and Meech Lilly. You know, both of those guys. Because it's great. They, they started a really small lineup against Illinois. And Illinois was unable to exploit it. They just don't have great perimeter inside scores. And for some reason, the one guy who can do damage, danger, just seemed to be off uh, in that game. Excuse me. But sooner or later, they're going to need big guys who can defend and who can score. Uh, I'm getting choked up over this whole thought because I love the play of big guys. Uh, but, But getting those guys minutes against these opponents that you should do very well against I think is imperative because yeah, it's great. If you start the small lineup and the three point shots are falling uh, tremendous, Uh, but these are two, six, 10 freshmen. You guys know how high I am on Kebajai and Meech Lilly just did not play a lot in the preseason. And you could see, he just needs to get out there and, 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 and get minutes. So getting these guys as many minutes as possible, heading back into the big 10, which is going to be very difficult in early January with, with some, you know, tough games, including, you know, number one, Purdue. And I hope Purdue's still number one for that Palestra game because that's going to be an absolute blast. Well, we covered a lot of ground on this episode. We started off with the recent commitments for Penn State football. We finish up with the latest win for Penn State basketball. Thanks to Tyler Calvaruzzo. Thanks to you guys, Daniel Gallon and Mark Brandon. As said, Penn State Bowl Media Day here in Happy Valley coming up on Friday. Full coverage at lines247.com. We've got another episode of this podcast coming your way a little bit later, hoping to bring you a member of the 2023 Penn State recruiting class. Um, a lot more to get to here on the next episode. Um, between now and then, plenty's going to happen. Make sure you're logged into lines247.com. Sub- VIP subscribers, 50% off deal going on right now, as you've hopefully seen on the site. On behalf of the whole team, wishing you all well. I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel. Streaming around the clock on Pluto TV, the CBS Sports app, and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.